Welcome back everyone to the RFP Secrets Podcast, where we help you make better procurement decisions with fewer regrets. Welcome back, procurement pros, to another enlightening episode of the RFP Secrets Podcast. Today, we dive deep into the challenges that arise when evaluating large vendor proposals. We will uncover valuable strategies and best practices to navigate these complexities, all while ensuring fairness and transparency. I'm your host, John Mette, and together we will decode the intricacies of this critical aspect of the procurement process. As you all know, the tender process is the heartbeat of procurement. And while evaluating large vendor proposals is a challenge, it takes a different turn when we encounter with strategic and highly complex projects, complex, extensive, and potentially game-changing decisions to be made. Now, evaluating vendor proposals is no walk in the park, especially when dealing with highly complex and risky projects. It is a maze of challenges, and we'll try to navigate through them together today. So buckle up as we explore this significance part of the procurement process, and hopefully we can provide some value to you today. I have the privilege to be joined today by a distinguished expert in the world of procurement, Mr. Imran Sharif. Imran is the head of procurement for the Middle East, Central Asia, Australia, and New Zealand. Wow, that's a lot. At Motorola Solutions. With over two decades of diverse experience in business enablement and strategic procurement, he is a true leader and expert in his field. I'm so excited to have Imran with us today. Imran, welcome to the show and thanks for being with us today. Hi, John. Thank you very much. And thank you for this summary. I even have to look back that I have achieved all of this, but yeah, it was a great introduction. Thank you. No, for sure you have. Imran, look, I've spoken to you only once and I have to admit a lot of head of procurement and chief procurement officers, because of their position, they sits really high over what's happening on the ground. Over time, they became detached of what the challenges are from their team, what they're doing. But when I spoke to you, you really got into the details. You really have been through some of the points that the people on the ground doing the procurement stuff is actually feeling and talking about all day long. So I just wanted to say that I've been intrigued by having that conversation with you. And hopefully today we can pull more out of you to benefit all the audience of our show. Sure, John. Okay, so here's what I'm going to do with you today. We're going to start like a little tradition in the show here. I've got a hundred deck of cards here. Uh, wow. I got it from a place called the School of Life. And it's basically full of questions of different categories. Life, family, school, education, uh, technology, career. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to start actually by flipping through the cards. And once you tell me stop, I'm going to pick a card and ask you the question. Oh, Ready? I hope I'm going to get the easy ones. Okay. Yeah, let's do it now. Okay. I'll take this one here. Okay. So here's the question that I got for you. 
what are your ambitions? Mm. Very interesting. It's a very wide question. Uh, yeah, it, it can go into different directions, but I would say the most importantly, I have two. One, being a professional, which is in my industry, in my job, what I do, I always look to excel. Whatever is achieved, I always look for a second one, a second challenge. As long as there is a challenge, that is our human nature, and at least for me, I want to pursue that. I want to go for it. I want to achieve it. There is a direction for me. Second ambition is always, I would say, towards the family, and I wish to be a best or better parent. So that is where I always look for, try to position myself as a role model, how my kids are looking at me, what I'm doing. Am I doing right? Am I doing some wrong practices in front of them? or I'm doing right practices in front of them. So these are the two main ambitions I always have, especially all these, when your kids are growing in an international community where you have, they go to international schools, they meet with different kids, they make friends. So our, all those things come up and that is adding value to their journey, to their life journey. So that is where as a parent, exactly, you look forward to that. Great. So I want to ask you first, Imran, how did you get into procurement? From the beginning, it was an interesting journey, to be honest. If you look at my background, I was into business development. And then I wore a different hat into the sales as well. When you are a salesperson, you try to position yourself to good. You learn not only about what you're trying to sell, but you learn also how to negotiate and how to handle the situation and all those elements. Now, over the period of time, again, when I was interfacing on the opposite side of the table where I'm sitting now, I was also fancy. What are they? What are? What do they think about? What do they see me? Why is like always as an enemy, or always as a defensive? So, what can I learn? myself and seen to this. And that's where the opportunity came in because from the sales, I went into the uh, commercial, which was a hybrid solution. So commercial is, yeah, looking at the sale, but you're also looking at the key partners. You're also looking at what your company is spending more, relationships and all, all those elements. So that is where I found the procurement to be my, yeah, I, any, the, the, all the key elements are there. I love to meet people. I love to make friends. I love to negotiate. I love to all those things. That is exactly what I was doing in sales. But yeah, these are the key elements on the procurement side as well. So that is where I then did my, uh, started my journey of my education in procurement in parallel. I found it fancy. And then here I am. So I did all the SIPs uh, certifications, BMP certifications, all those things to understand the business, to understand the project. And I found it much more intriguing this side as myself enjoying better. Absolutely. I, I always ask this question because most of the people I've met, we all fell into procurement by, by accident, by chance. No one really was studying uh, towards becoming a procurement professional. And we all had different stories about how did we actually fell into procurement, but yep. it, mostly it's by accident. Like we were not planning for this. 
It just <laughs> we got the opportunity to do it. Uh, because to be honest, John, the era, I would say our kids probably call us Gen X or Gen Z. I don't know whatever the name they use, but the era we belong to, it was all about engineers, doctors, all those elements and, and so forth. And then the procurement certainly was there, but it wasn't in the key limelight professions and all those things. But when we came into this, we saw, and I at least personally saw, that procurement is as equal and as important as your sales or the country sales manager is. Because yes, they help you bring in some revenue into your company. But if the procurement person is not there, he's not going to help you de-risk your project. He's not going to help defend your company against the challenges, again, the supply chain challenges, again, risk mitigation challenges. So to me, these two professions are equally important in any organization. Yeah, 100%. So for anyone who's listening right now and is not really familiar with the RFP process or the tender process, would you mind just to give us like quick overview of how do you understand the procurement process when it comes to conducting tenders and RFPs? What are the major milestones and stages of them. And from there, we're going to jump right into our topic about talking about the evaluation process and specifically about evaluating large vendor proposals. Sure. John, I think we, when specifically as per your question, we, we're going to narrow down our discussion to the large vendor RFP or the large requirement RFP, because in every business, there will be some cases where you may not need to process all the steps in the detail if you're buying some small commodities, one-off element. Yeah. So in terms of the launch vendor, I would say the very first thing should be you define and understand your tender processes. What do you need to do? You define your evaluation criteria in advance. You should know what is going out in the RFP. What do you expect to come back as a submission and how are you going to evaluate it? Not only evaluate in terms of the just looking at the documents, it has to be factual. It has to be statistical. So how you do the evaluation of that process, it has to be thoroughly predefined to help you get your data input and then with the through all the following steps of the process, it gets you the most output value. And there can be complexities, definitely, uh, against with the large projects. When it comes to large vendors, there's too much data sometimes coming in. There is too much information flowing coming into it. Sometimes there can be a biasness as well because you invite big names, big players. So you need to make sure yeah, that your process defined is transparent for the others, but as well as it eliminates all the biasness out of the decision-making as well. So we can, again, talk about further into that, but then also the key element or one of the section I would say would be how you understand the tender specification. Do you have right people with you as subject matter expert who are going to help you look at the technical part of the submission? Do you have right people on the operational side of the business, who's going to help you understand on the operations of the uh, bid. And then you as a procurement yourself, you can do the commercial element 
uh, with all your knowledge. Putting all of these things combined could be a good strategy and it will come up with the best results. Wonderful. I think that's a really good perspective to talk about our topic today, because a lot of the time, many organizations really rush to go out to market and maybe are not thinking enough about how they actually going to evaluate the responses that they're going to get from their vendors. And they don't even think about how will that information going to help me make a difference between expert and the non-expert. Because at the end of the day, we're looking for the perfect partner to provide us with our requirements, our services that we need. So getting that is, is absolutely critical from the get-go before you actually go into market. I remember one story, I was working in a company and one of the procurement guys there, he issued the tender and he didn't put like the pricing template in an Excel sheet. So all of them responded to that in a PDF. And he spent an exorbitant amount of time copying and basting mm. this information from the PDF to the spreadsheet. So man, why oh, did yes. you issue this in a spreadsheet in the first place? You don't have to do that. So it's and really important. It, it, exactly. I completely agree with you. Because sometimes, yes, we all humans do mistakes, but these are fundamentals. Uh, if you are not setting a price template, you may receive pricing in a different structure. You may spend even more time bringing them into an apple-to-apple -apple comparison. You need to spend more time on it. Uh, similarly, if you are asking compliance document without having your structure in place, everybody will say, I comply, but you will spend more time even asking the question what you need to know. So these are exactly the fundamentals we, we talk about that you need to have your preparation in place before you issue such kind of a large project RFPs. Imran, the next question, I think you're going to bring a perfect perspective to this because you have been on the vendor side, on the dark side from our procurement world. In your view, why do you think the main reasons the vendors are responding with such large proposals to the RFPs or the tenders that they get invited to? John, I think there is a human psyche also involved in it. Because when I am a vendor, let's call it, you are a procurement person, you have invited my company to participate in a bid. Certainly, I don't want to lose a chance of not being selected. So I will throw in even the information which is not needed. I will make my proposal look like 1,000 pages. And as a human psyche, when you see one proposal, which is like 20 pages, another proposal like 1,000 pages, first human impression is, oh, 1,000 pages, people, they know more than the person who is giving me a 20 page. Must be comprehensive. Exactly. It must be comprehensive. It has more information in it. So my bias or inclination start to go towards that side first. Maybe the 20 page is exactly what you were looking for. So many right. companies and the sales professionals, that is what they do. And we even that side, yeah, because when you and your RFP is not clearly defined, if it does not have the boundaries, if it doesn't have the structure, it gives me the leverage to throw everything. And it's not like with a bad intention. It is with a good intention because I wanted to show you as a Mr. Procurement a power 
that my company does everything. I mm. have all the products you need. Even what you're not asking, I'm sharing it with you. I do magics. I do wonders. So that is where you start to see fact proposals coming in when you have not defined your parameters. That actually reminds me uh, of when we were in college, when we really don't understand the question, we don't know the exact answer. What do we do? We throw in the paper, <laughs> everything in our head, hoping that the, the teacher or the professor will read something and say, I think he's saying the right answer here. But when it comes to procurement, that environment really helps what sort of suppliers. It really helps the low-performing suppliers because they can trick you by putting a lot of information that it's going to be impossible to read and, and grasp. 100%. But as you exactly mentioned, when you see that large number of pages, you would assume that it must completely covering all the requirements that we have, but you're not going to read all of that. So it really gives the advantage to the low performer over the expert vendors in that environment, which is really a big challenge. Okay, so next we're going to talk about fairness. You spoke about this earlier, but open, fair, transparent, value, and efficient are typically the cornerstones for running successful RFP or tender process. Imran, how does the large proposals can be an obstacle in achieving those goals? Do they really cloud the judgment of the evaluation team? Mm -hmm. And if so, in what way? John, as you say, in the procurement professional practices, small RFP versus large RFP. Yeah, you can change from one hat to another. But when you are doing the large RFP, of course, there's going to be much more effort required. You need to be prepared more than your usual RFPs. Now, when we talked about the fairness, if I am defining or if I am inviting suppliers in an open bid platform, many companies use different ERP applications, some e-bid applications, all those things. Now, if you have your RFP structure defined in there that when you receive input information from that and whoever is your collaborative team inside technical SMEs, operational SMEs, if they do not see the supplier names tagged to it, you can eliminate the biasness. You, their judgment or read of the information coming in, it can be more towards a subject rather than an impression-made decision-making. It will be factual. Similarly, if the information, what you have asked and, and, and operational details are ignored, uh, do they have enough resources on ground? Do they even know the geography where you are inviting them to do the project? Do they have all the relationships what you key need? So these things, if it is not properly uh, evaluated, it will bring a challenge for you. And then the result will be 1,000 pages, which nobody will be able to read and your decision-making will be affected. What's funny is a lot of people, when you're doing the anonymous evaluation for the vendor proposals, some people think it's a really bad idea because the fear they have is we might end up hiring the wrong vendor. If you mm. 
also start sharing the logos and the information of other companies, other documentation with the other decision makers as well. Then again, to me, technical compliance and all those things may not be judged equally. If, for example, one company is your distributor and they are doing a million dollar business with you, another company is just a new company, but they are technically solid. They can do the job. If they come onto the bid, who you think your mind will choose? Shall I go with the existing name, existing partner, or shall I even look at the new proposals even? Yeah, the anonymous proposal, this is, and I spoke to you about the XPD process um, of ours. This is the number one principle that we apply when using this approach. The benefit is really immense. Not just the bias is a big thing as well, as you exactly mentioned, that if people have seen a familiar name, they will start to assume some stuff about this company, whether bad or good, and they're going to start not just being biased themselves, but they actually, if they have the ability, they will start to influence everyone else around them. And that's really a big danger. The other benefit of really removing the names from the proposals, from the vendor side, mm -hmm. think about it as a vendor's. <clears throat> if you really don't think that the client is going to run an open and fair and transparent tender process, if the client told you, we're going to remove the names, the evaluators will not see the names. You as a vendor, are you now more inclined to respond and compete or not? you would be more inclined to respond. Of course, because positively, you see now an equal chance for your documents to be reviewed. 100%. And also the incumbent, that's a really interesting point that you made. The incumbent, when you put them into that environment... They become... Absolutely. Because this incumbent, most of the time, they feel entitled to win the project because <clears throat> I am the incumbent supplier. Of course. But when you actually take that privilege from them, the quality of their proposal is instantly going to go really up. So it's a really fantastic technique, but needs to be put in the right framework to get the, the maximum benefit out of that approach. So have you actually tried that yourself in, in, your, in your area, Imran? Yes, yes, we, we actually have done that. And similarly, I would say the second element is the compliance matrix. Because when you define your compliance metrics and all that general and good practice or recommendation from me is you define your format and ask every single vendor to follow your format in your document. So even if it is an Excel mm. file, if, even if it is a Word document, even if it is a tool which you're using as an ERP kind of a questionnaire or something, ask them to follow that. Because then exactly this is the second element which you can choose. You can see your all competitor bids, where they're compliant, where they're non-compliant, and the tool and all this thing is going to help you make an equal evaluation rather than you just ask your suppliers to submit their side of the evaluation or their side of a compliance. Then trust me, my friend, you're going to be ready to read a thousand pages and uh, come up with an extra time as well. So I want to stop here a little bit on, on that anonymous part. And when you apply that approach, did you get any resistance from 
the internal client of your organization, how did they react to this? Did they like it? Change is never easy. It's our human behavior. So we faced eyebrows as well. Like who this document belongs to, who shared that. But the, if you pass through that phrase, you will see much more improved scoring. You see much more improved information coming in from your subject matter expert because then they know who is he. They, they will through your proper attention as well. And you will see high quality information coming out of it. I couldn't agree more. Most of the pushback we get when we apply this process is actually from the internal, from the buying organization people. Not so much from the vendor side. Oh, yes. The vendor really loved that idea. Absolutely. But the internal people is the biggest enemy of this approach. Some people said to us before, that doesn't really make sense. I can read the vendor proposals even without the names. And we had one project that was a financial services project. And one of the evaluators said, that doesn't make sense. I used to work for one of those firms, was the big four. And I would be easily pick up which vendor it is. And we said, all right, just write on the side, who do you think everyone is? And yeah, we'll see at the end. And at the end, when we saw the names that he assigned, he got all of them wrong. And he used to work for one of those firms. But what we're trying to say here, even if they have identified who the vendor is, the goal here is not perfection. The goal is we're trying to convince the vendor community that we're doing our best to give everyone a fair chance. And that's really the whole point. Absolutely. And we've done a lot of implementations on this and the results, you've seen it yourself. It's amazing when you apply it in the right framework. I agree. I completely agree. Imran, for someone like yourself who heads up the procurement function in multiple regions of the world, how do you ensure the same standards are applied across your portfolio? Because you're based in one place, but you're hitting up other teams in, in different areas. How do you make sure the same standards apply everywhere? John, again, I think that that comes as a fundamental. This is a very basic, even first step, I would say, into the procurement industry. Because if within an organization, despite of the region, you can drill it down even to the countries, you can drill it down to whatever level you want, there will be some sort of customization. There will be some sort of local laws. There will be some restriction from the government, mm -hmm. all those things. Though those things will be there. Yes, you need to incorporate them. You need to look at that. But when it comes to the decision making, when it comes to the supplier selection, when it comes to the supplier evaluation, when it comes to the supplier scorecard, when it comes to your agreements, if you do not have a standardization in your process, then you will be lost because one team will be evaluating, taking decision completely different way than your other team or the other region that will be doing. So having a standardization on your key principle is a must. And then you can, of course, yeah. add on whatever the variations are based on your region or your country rules regulation-wise. We saw a lot of challenges when evaluators are faced with large vendor proposals. And to put things into a picture that people can really grasp is, let's imagine that we have invited five different suppliers 
to respond to our RFPs. And we have received um, like 100 pages on average for each vendor. And the evaluation team is now have about two to three weeks period to go through and thoroughly read 500 pages of information that most of this information have been taken copy and paste from another document. Lots of fluff, lots of materials that sales and marketing people have put in there. Do you think people or the evaluation team read every page on every proposal they receive from every vendor? As a procurement person, our expectation is but, always is yes. But in reality, I don't think so. That every person reads, it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. The biggest challenge in procurement is that we have way high expectations of our evaluation team. We think of them as superheroes. They're going to figure out everything in the minimum amount of time. They're going to figure it out somehow. <laughs> They're exactly. They, they are humans. They are exactly humans. And if we see us in their shoes, how much time in your daily activities you can spend doing your job, other activities, other projects, as well as reading 1,000 pages. You cannot. If you think you cannot, how can we expect they can? Yeah, it's just no-brainer. And add on top of that, these evaluators, as I mentioned to you before in our speak, these people are not really looking forward to evaluate proposals. They are not super excited that they're going to evaluate proposals. They hate it. Yeah. So to expect them to really do something with perfection that they don't have time to it. They hate it and they, they're not really interested in doing it. It just blows my mind how procurement is really have those expectations from these teams. And talking about fairness, Imran, it's really important because it's going to affect everything in the procurement process. It is going to affect if vendors have perspective about you're not going to act fairly or your procurement process is not going to be open and transparent, that will impact, one, the number of proposals you receive, and two, the quality of these proposals. Absolutely. When we are inviting for a large tenders, large work, to me, the volume of information coming in, that was also a big challenge. How are you going to screen it out? The second challenge was, do you have the right subject matter expert assigned to it? how they are scoring the mechanism for you, how they are reading the technical compliance documents for you, how your project managers evaluating their operational side of the business or the answers coming back into the RFP. So they are all interconnected, but as well as you see organizations failing if they have not put in the RFP evaluation criteria all these checkpoints initially they will struggle. So you, when we say fairness, when we say transparency, when we say evaluation criteria, all those things has to be there at the start of your RFP. A RFP sending out in a market without a proper thought process, what kind of information going to come in and how it's going to help you, it is going to be Again, more workload, more disaster for a procurement person. Yeah, as the saying goes, rubbish in, rubbish out. If you put rubbish <laughs> in, you're going to expect to get rubbish back. Exactly. In the bias thing, we had one really funny story. 
we were doing a lighting fixture replacement for a university. And we asked vendors, what is the biggest risk do you see on this project? So they were doing the lighting fixtures on the dormitorials of the students, so where the students live. And one of the vendors said, the biggest risk is we have a male electrician working in the female rooms, the showers, and the toilets. Correct. So to mitigate this risk, we're going to hire a female electrician to work on the female dorms and a male electrician to work on the male dorms. Everyone thought it's a great idea. But one of the evaluators gave them zero. He said, that's a horrible idea. This contracting is lying. So we asked him, why do you think this is not a good idea? He said, I have been in the electrical industry. My father and my grandfather has been an electrician. There is no such a thing as a female electrician. electrician. And we thought he was joking, but he was that serious. So we said to him, what if they hired the only female electrician in the world? And he said, still, they're going to be twice as expensive, and I still wouldn't hire them. So because we had multiple evaluators, that particular supplier got awarded the project. They hired a female electrician. Everything went great. But that bias by what he has been through in his experience in life really clouded his vision to see what could be possible from the vendor side. So it was really a crazy story. And these all comes as the human experiences. Because same, we collect all these memories, we collect all these experiences while what has happened. And that is the procurement job that we filter those judgments before our next decision-making. If we're going to keep the previous, all these things in our mind while making a judgment, then we are repeating the same cycle. We are not innovating. We are Mm. not breaking the cycle. So as a procurement person, exactly you touch point, rather than only looking at the price, looking at the payment terms, looking at basic stuff, if you are not wearing a risk manager hat while, while we're looking at a big cycle, you're missing exactly the same example what you were just uh, giving. How can they mitigate or de-risk the project? How can they do that? To me, evolution of the procurement person comes in when he starts wearing all these hats by himself. Be a project manager when you look at their problems. Be a risk manager when you look at what project is facing or what this my RFP can face in the future. Wear a hat sometime for your finance manager. What kind of information I will be looking from the RFP when I'm giving the 100 pages to him. So once you start wearing those hats on your daily practices, that is the key. Then you will shine as a procurement person. Have you ever had a situation where you excluded someone from the evaluation team because you can clearly see this person is biased towards a specific supplier or a product or software, and he is not going to benefit the evaluation? Because a lot of clients really don't think or don't give enough consideration to who should sit on the evaluation panel, which is really an integral part of the procurement process. Uh, I agree, John. I think uh, especially in the government sector, RFPs, yes, it is a key role. If he was employed by one of the manufacturers or vendors, he should not be participating in it. But when it comes to the firms, like, mine or yours or uh, all that part, I think 
there is ethics code of conduct there are mm-hmm. other certifications and other things which you are bound while you're working and if you have grown up working in your organization to a team leader or a subject matter expert at least we can give that benefit that okay he's going to help me do the fair judgment sometimes those biases they're not coming from a bad intention sometimes he thinks that he's doing the best for his firm absolutely but he is really influenced by his own knowledge and his own experience you have touched a very key element which is part of the evaluation as well that everything looks fine when it is in pdf with the brilliant logos on it important aspect yeah. is also meeting who's going to work who's going to deliver this project for you if you as a part of your evaluation not inviting them not seeing them not checking their capabilities not checking how much experience they have or a similar project experience they have yes your weightage of the scoring is not complete they may throw some cvs even for the people who have not hired by them just to show your evaluation but if they are not there yes and if they are not there to practically meet you and express to you how they gonna deliver this project for you guys no please always encourage exactly. always do uh, physical meetings in person meetings and most importantly apart from the ceo those meetings you can always do to have you know something under your belt but the people who is going to deploy your project who is going to work on your project that is the most important element as well that should be the focus really and when people tell me that we seek the cvs or resumes from the vendor side i ask him do you ever or will you ever hire someone for a job that you're interviewing for will you ever hire someone by just looking at their resume mm. no one will ever do that so why when it comes to hiring someone to do supposedly a complex and strategic project you just accept looking at the resume and said up oh, that looks great no absolutely and that is why in in my company our evaluation criteria before even we complete the supplier selection internally we invite every single a company who has participated after of course the first screening but we invite them and we ask them to present it to us how you going to do this project so we let them explain this is the time frame we have assumed this is these are the resources we have assumed this is how we going to do this is we going to be month one month two quarter one quarter two how the progress it will be because that if you and your subject matter experts your project managers if you're confident that yes you have gone through with all these means yes he's the right partner he understood my requirements perfectly mm. he can deliver he has looked at all the risk he has answers to my even questions when because everybody loves to see gold going everything right yes. but in real life projects doesn't go that way every single day you will have a challenge you will be behind your schedule so if you don't have the right people handling those situations you know what's next absolutely and these are the types of information that are not visible and clearly in, in the other paper paperwork correct you have to actually get these people the key people that will be leading the delivery of your project or service and just have this one-on-one conversation with them 
it will tell you a lot. And one more tip that we do in our process as well, we eliminate all the sales and marketing and business development from attending those meetings. Because most of the time they come very well rehearsed because they practice a lot and they gonna do a fantastic job to impress you. They were gonna give you all the promises you wanna hear. And you might have the technical person sitting there, but he's just gonna sit in the back and said, hi, my name is John Smith. <laughs> but most of the people that will be talking are the sales and marketing people. And they're gonna say, we're gonna do, we're gonna do that, 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 is that correct? And the guy said, huh? yeah. And but you he actually can see in their eyes that saying that there's no way we can do this. Correct. Right. So that's why I actually said, you can always meet the CEOs, the sales guys and everything, have one meeting, which is even to give them for the sake, whatever you call it. But important one is with the people who is going to deploy a work for you. And that is where your yes. true capability will come in. 100%. Imran, we can talk for days oh, yes. uh, with you. I'm really thrilled to have this conversation with you. I sincerely thank you, Imran, for sharing your experience and expertise with us today and inspiring us to strive for procurement excellence. Guys, if you found this episode informative, don't forget to subscribe to the RFP Secrets podcast to stay updated with more thought-provoking conversations. Until next time, Keep exploring, keep learning, and keep improving your procurement process. Yeah, John, thank you. Thank you for having me today on this. And exactly, we all uh, wanted to wish and make changes in the industry. And anyone, which is your listeners and all, even if they would like some guidance on general practice or anything, they're most welcome to reach out to me, to reach out to you. We are here to serve the society and make improvements. Absolutely. And if you guys have any questions, you can reach me out or Imran on LinkedIn, that would be maybe the easiest way that we can connect with each other. Until next time, stay positive and keep learning and keep exploring.